Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most interesting and inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines. And I'm so excited for you all to meet my guest today because not only is he a new friend, he is also someone who inspires me. And I feel like every time we interact, I learn something. And those are some of my favorite kinds of people. Joining me today is Gray Gowder. Gray is a filmmaker and young ocean leader. He is the founder of the creative nonprofit Enduring Curiosity and the Carolina Ocean Alliance, both of which seek to amplify and accelerate multidisciplinary community-driven solutions to the challenges our world is facing. Gray, welcome and thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That's a very generous (laughs) introduction, but uh, I I appreciate it. (laughs) Well, it's all true. I do feel that way. And, you know, just to start us off, because some of the listeners are just getting to know you for the first time on this episode, I'm wondering if you'll share a little bit about yourself and your background. So like if you look back on your life path, what are some of those pivotal moments that stand out to you in terms of steering you to where you are now? That's a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I think my parents did a wonderful job of encouraging me to be outdoors or at least be in natural spaces so that I could develop uh certain degree of comfort or familiarity with them. Um, no matter whether that was, you know, mountain streams up in the Appalachians or, uh, salt marshes or the, um, barrier Island tidal pools down here in the Charleston area. Um, I feel like I've, I've been, been around nature most of my life and it took a while because of that familiarity to really develop the kind of appreciation that I have now. And I, I, um, I went to to school originally to be a filmmaker, uh, but for my undergrad, I wanted to learn, you know, not how to make films, but what I wanted to make films about. And, And so um, went to the College of William and Mary to study history and to study cultural anthropology. And um, a part of that that was really remarkable was uh, the opportunity to not just see things as isolated kind of visions of the world or isolated um disciplines, but uh, to instead uh, start to see the interconnection between between the music that we make, the foods that we eat, the art, uh, our language, our history, and the very natural systems that, that we rely on every day. And um, the thing that tied all of that together for me, and I, I think kind of cemented who I am today is uh, years later when I was developing my first longer form documentary uh, called Apparent Winds about two guys who were trying to sail around the world to visit uh, Sylvia Earle Mission Blue Hope Spots. Um, uh, I was looking through the South Carolina Aquarium's uh, educator uh, resource pack just to look at you know how they talk about the ocean when it comes to kids. And um, I think it was in, in the third grade section when they're talking about ecology, they bring up the concept of community. And community for me was had always been very people-centric, but the definition of community that they shared there is what biologists use to, to see community, which is not just the people, but it's all life that share a common space. And uh, are interconnected within that space to not only sustain each other, but to regenerate life within that system. And seeing that and seeing the, the system's view of life and of the universe 
um, kind of developed this core philosophy that I use for the stories that I tell and for the work that I do, uh, which is, you know, if we're going to heal this planet and heal ourselves in the process, we need to start seeing ourselves as a part of this natural world again, instead of apart from it. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think I have, you know, clear moments that I can point to beyond that. It's more of kind of a philosophical evolution based on experience. I think that's such a fitting response, though, for you who just talked about like the interconnectedness and intersectionality of everything, right? It's like you didn't look at your life path as a siloed thing. It was like all of these interconnected, interwoven experiences have brought you to where you are now. And I think that's so wonderful. And I, I also think, and you touched on this a little bit, that something that I find incredibly fascinating is, you know, not only exploring my connection with nature and the outdoors and how that is sort of woven throughout my life, but learning about what that experience is like for others so I'm just wondering if you'll talk a little bit more about like your connection to nature. And so that could be anything from like when you're outdoors or when you're in your favorite place or exploring someone new, like what are those physical and emotional or spiritual experiences that you have when you're outside? First of all, I'm, <laughs> uh, I'm a gardener, so I, I have to, to share that part of it. I begin every day by going outside with my dog and uh, tending to the, the vegetables and the fruit and herbs and other, other uh, species that I have out there and trying to understand the way the, the birds and insects and squirrels and other creatures are interacting with that space as well. And uh, I've developed a friendship with some, uh, some native plant nurseries here in town and I've been trying to figure out how to make uh, my little um, piece of of uh, you know 1950s suburbia a bit more uh, sustainable and, a, and a, as a haven as well for um, for species that are, are that live here and that are migrating through here. And so that's been a really wonderful opportunity. Um, think before that, the other time where I truly got to experience nature, you know, um, in a deeper, more soulful way, uh, was actually at the beginning of the pandemic. I had just moved out of, um, out of living in Atlanta where I was, uh, you know, pursuing beginning of my filmmaking career and, um, moved up to a little cottage up in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And since there was nobody around, uh, the forest was in pretty good shape. And this was right at the end of winter, beginning of spring for them in the mountains. And so I got to see the forest literally come to life and notice new ferns and trilliums and bird sounds and insects and colors and vibrancy every day. Um, and be able to have a, a sort of personal relationship with not just the, you know, the specific creatures that I was meeting on the, on the path, but with the forest as a whole, it was, it's kind of like when people move to New York and they get to know, uh, you know, all of the different, uh, neighbors and vendors and people who pass through every day. It's, it's sort of like that but in the forest. Um, and I've, I've heard of people experiencing that, you know, on islands and, uh, on beaches, especially. Uh, and, um, f for me, I, I like to go to places where there can be that kind of overlap between people and the natural world so that it does feel, um, uh, authentic and it feels alive uh, in a way that uh, you know people are um, interacting with their human and non-human neighbors 
not always in a reciprocal way, but always in, in um, some form of a conscious way. Um, and, and so, you know, that's a part of my travel. I, I love to go, I love to go to parks. I love to go to places where, um, I can just sit and listen and watch and, and kind of see, uh, the scenes play out all around me and then see how they begin to interact with me. Yeah. I love how you described that. I I'm sitting here smiling because I, I connect with that really deeply in, uh, especially where I'm living right now in Maine, you know, I'm surrounded by woods. And so that description of where you were in Carolina really resonates with me. And I find that there's such beauty in just observing. And if we're allowed and allow ourselves to have the space to just slow down and observe our surroundings, it's pretty magical, like what is happening around us all the time and the things that, you know, we can notice when we just take a minute to appreciate like the things that a lot of us, I think, sort of develop these like blinders to or become desensitized to because we see them all the time. But there are so many like full, it's almost like full worlds and full universes moving around us at all times. And like, I think I try to like remind myself to plug into that, um, whether whenever I'm walking my dog down the driveway and see like familiar critters, I, I feel like I, my neighbors might think I'm a little bit wacky, but I, I like talk to them and check in with like the chipmunks and the squirrels and, and the birds that are in our yard. And um, I think it's just a really beautiful thing to be a little bit more mindful of, of our surroundings. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, I heard you mention uh, several different places and I'm curious if you have, and maybe it's your garden, <laughs> but like, are there places that are particularly special to you? Um, and there's no need to give away secret spots or places that you hold near and dear. Like we don't need GPS coordinates, but is there, is there a place that you hold near and dear to your heart? Yes, but I think those may be more to do with the way they were at the time I, I was there. Um, so mm. there are places that I will always want to go back to because they are special places. But um, I think it's healthy for us to not try to expect them to be that every time we go there because um, that can create a great deal of sorrow or anger when we see them change. Um, so um, I'm trying to think of, of, you know, a specific spot that, because um, uh, I mean, there, there's one place near Charleston out on one of the barrier islands uh, called Sullivan's Island down below the old uh, fort that's been out there since the Revolutionary War where um, you can stand on the very end of uh, the southern end of the island and look back towards the city and see one of the most beautiful sunsets anywhere around there. And um, it gives a uh, gives an incredible sense of how tied to the water this this city is and how um, its future is just as as uh, um, dependent upon upon its waterways as its you know its past was and how it how it formed and um, it's it's interesting to stand especially on a beach because um, uh, we're dealing with multiple issues of, of uh, erosion due to man-made structures and sea level rise due to climate change and other issues that are impacting those, those beaches. And so they are these impermanent places. They are, um, they are transforming constantly. And 
same thing's true with with the forests with the rivers with um you know the other places that i i love to visit uh and so i i think it's some of it has to be you know going back to these places to visit them as um um as if i'm experiencing it for the first time all over again because you know in some ways i am yeah and i, I want to make sure that i i share my appreciation for something that you said in your response there which is talking about you know loving a place for you know maybe what it was or what it is in your in your mind or your memory because that's something that I'm, I've definitely experienced quite a bit in my life. And especially right now with having grown up in Maine, just north of Portland, Maine, and moving all over the place. And I feel like every time I would come home, I would notice like, oh, that's different. That development is there. You know, like it's so easy when you leave to notice, like when you come back almost in this like shocking way of how a place has changed. And it brings out this sort of like, for me anyway, like melancholy feeling of almost like mourning the place that you once knew. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, we're not alone in that. And like listeners, I feel like that's a familiar, probably a familiar experience for a lot of them and started to make me think about like, like what is that feeling specifically? And I think that's, you know, that's probably a really complicated, uh, like side path to go down in terms of like how a changing space makes anybody feel. But I think, you know, it's definitely partly connected to the way that I view this place being healthy. Um, because a lot of what I'm noticing is just the development that's happening here, you know, main, our population's still pretty small and um but you know it's especially over covid i i think a lot of people were seeking more space and so i i've noticed this ramping up of development in this area and um you know it it makes me curious to hear a little bit more from you like what is it that makes like a place healthy? Like, I think what I'm trying to get at in like, like I'm grappling with how to word this is because there is like this understanding that like people need a place to live and like development is kind of this like necessary part of our world now. Um, so do you have thoughts on like what, what makes a community healthier, the planet healthier, an ocean healthy? Like what's your vision for that? There are a few different writers that I think about when the, you know, when this question comes up. Um, one is um, Earl C. Ellis, who did uh, a short introduction to the Anthropocene. Um, and then on the more extreme side, you had uh, Jared Diamond's Collapse. And I think both of those writers and then also, you know, Robin Wall Kimmerer and talking about um, kind of positive interactions, like she and Rachel Carson talking about positive interactions with nature, um, will discuss high intensity versus low intensity use and the way that we um, practice reciprocity. That's, I mean, reciprocity is a big part of um, what Robin Wall Kimmer writes about. It's mindfulness, it's, it's reciprocity, it's um, trying to understand the space that we're living in and not just, you know, irresponsibly altering it to meet our needs, but instead understanding the role that that place and the species within it and the way water interacts with it, uh, you know, or the, all of those factors, uh, how, how all that works within uh, responsible, comprehensive planning. And um, I think it is possible for us to continue to, to live in, um, 
these urban centers, I think it's possible for us to uh, to do so in a better way. I think it's I think we, for the most part, uh, live beyond our means or live beyond our needs uh, as a civilization. And I think if we were forced to be uh, a bit more aware of the impacts that we're making, but also have our systems in which, you know, we live, in which our economy works, in which our, our uh, infrastructure and industry works, if we have that be reevaluated in a way that um, becomes a bit more aligned with what is responsible, what is reciprocal, what is regenerative, um, then we could find a better path. And there are, there are people who are much smarter than me and much more tied into these sectors who could probably give a more detailed answer to, to how in these different areas. But um, as someone who's a, who's a storyteller, who's an educator, um, something you talked about a couple of, you know, a couple of answers ago is, is the idea of silos and the idea of us having these limited views of the world that we experience. And what I try to do through Carolina Ocean Alliance is, um, um, create opportunities for people to to see a little bit wider of of a, you know a view of their world after doing immersive activities and so sometimes that's a litter cleanup where you know after going out there and walking along a beach or the side of the road or through a marsh you might notice uh, the next time you're in that space the amount of trash that's out there. And that's something you might not have noticed before because we weren't trained to look at that. We didn't, that wasn't part of the way we experienced the world. Um, but as we gain experiences that cause us to notice more, and as we gain experiences that cause us to be more aware of our actions and of our impacts, we begin to be a bit more conscious of our choices and alter behavior. That's part of the battle. That The other part that is a lot bigger is, is those, the, you know, those large systems issues that fall under policy, that fall under economics, that fall under regulations and management. And that's not really something that an ordinary person has a lot of control over aside from you know, interacting with their elected officials or with the regulators that are in their, their region. Um, but uh, I, I do think that there is a great deal that we can do uh, as long as we are giving children and their families solutions and we're giving them tools by which they can better understand um, their place in the world and how to interact with it in a way that, that gives them resilience, that gives them agency, uh, and that lets them be uh, a more responsible member of the community. Yeah. And so while I was listening to you, this word that kind of popped out to me that I wanted to make sure I asked you about is, you know, regenerative. And I know that there are many different mm -hmm. things that can follow regenerative, regenerative you know, like farming fishing, so on and so forth. But I have um, heard you use and, you know, in reading your website and your bio, I've seen this term regenerative storytelling. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you'll talk a little bit more about what that is and how that might differ from what, you know, many of us might think of as like standard storytelling, which maybe is a little more like I sit here and share this story with you or my own lived experience. And maybe it's like a little bit more like transactional. Right. Um, so the, 
I guess the definition or the the version of uh, regenerative that I uh, I use uh, comes from uh, Paul Hawkins' book Regeneration, which is kind of reevaluating the systems uh, at play that the systems, whether they are um, you know our our natural climate solutions or or on uh, one side or uh, the way we we manage uh, food or water or other other um, core systems and uh, he continues that into um, social uh, uh, social systems and culture and uh, other things along those lines and um, I've had some really fascinating conversations over the last few years about um, sustainability and conservation and uh, things like that, where, where when we look at the root of these words, like, you know, to sustain, to conserve, those are kind of limited in some ways. It's about, uh, about, you know, protecting uh, what little is left or, or kind of limiting in some ways. But when we start thinking about regeneration, we start thinking about how can we create the, uh, the conditions by which uh, this system that we're working with can begin to rebuild itself. And so when I, when I think about storytelling, um, a lot of storytelling uh, is either one-sided, as you were talking about, or it's extractive in nature, uh, or completely misses its uh, desired outcome in others. Um, there's a, a fantastic film on um, Apple TV called uh, The Elephant Queen. And a few years ago, I was watching a, uh, a, a panel that that filmmaking team was on. And they were talking about how um, uh, a lot of the nature documentaries that are shot in these parks in Africa and other parts of the developing world uh, those films are rarely ever uh, seen by the communities that live in closest proximity to those parks. So the impacts of those stories, the impacts of these deeply personal and intimate stories about the residents of those parks uh, are, are, you know, making transformative uh, uh, kind of experiences for for audiences all around the world, but for the people who have the greatest ability to make an impact on what's happening in the, in those films, that uh, they aren't getting that experience, and they're often not being consulted in the making of that story either. And uh, something that that team did behind the Elephant Queen is they decided. Um, that instead of having the elephant be seen as a uh, competition or a nuisance or something that could be um, something that doesn't belong to them and their community uh, as, you know, as a part of that community, uh, they decided they were going to start from a very young age through uh, children's literature and other kind of uh uh, ways of engaging with the kids, engaging with their families to build a deeper connection between the kids and the elephants and the dung beetles and the birds and all the other characters of the story. And so it's about building this um, uh, this kind of ecosystem in a way of stories and of ideas and of um, interventions in some cases uh, around the main intellectual property, uh, whether that's a book or a film or a podcast. It's, it's about kind of building a toolkit around that that is not only for the community that can make the greatest difference with the story, but it's also informed by those people so that it's authentic to them and so that the story and the main kind of tentpole of all of this uh, can also be authentic to the people who are telling that story. Because we often see these um, these films or these books made in ways that are that are very colonial. You know, you'll have uh, a storyteller te- that will parachute in and will uh, 
take the the knowledge, the story, the experience of the local people there, and uh, and then we'll leave. And they might say, "Well, I've put this story into the world. That that's me doing my part." And for me, that's that's not enough. I, I think there's a great deal of responsibility that comes with telling a story because stories uh, can cause tremendous change. They can cause a great deal of positive outcomes. They can also cause a great deal of negative outcomes. And it's the responsibility of the storyteller to be a part of uh, how uh, the story is used and how the story is able to benefit people and able to create real solutions. Um, So, uh, in some cases, that's partnering with a local nonprofit or community group. In other cases, that is is forming uh, an entity or a specific set of partnerships to work with those local stakeholders to solve those problems. Uh, but you know, no matter you know what configuration it is, um, it's creating something that is authentic to and also based on the the needs and the advice of the people who are partnering in the creation of the story. Um, and, and that idea of, of it being a partnership is, is far more important than it um, being, you know, this, this kind of uh, separate or, or this sort of, you know, disconnected uh, uh, way of experiencing it. Um, and, and I'm hoping that, that that leads to better stories as well, because I'm hoping the audiences will get to experience something that does feel a, a lot truer and um, hopefully something that can relate to them on a thematic level because they, they're able to see something about themselves or their own community in that story. And uh, that's where regeneration isn't just locally it's other communities that see themselves in the story taking that story and uh, being able to create a a, a self uh, sustaining and growing uh, movement internally there that can have an open conversation with uh, with the subjects of the film and the other people who are a part of this growing network so that they can create solutions that are, on a global grassroots scale of sorts. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, so much of it is is about like when you have that community buy-in and these like community-driven stories, there's this trust that needs to be built. And I think, you know, you see that when you have like a model that's, you know, some more of that like colonial mindset, like you mentioned, where someone sort of like swoops in and it feels like the story is really about the person making the story. Like, look what I did. And I went here and I created this thing that's sort of along the narrative is of like what I wanted to create versus, you know, the other model you were talking about that is much more like intersectional and community driven. I think that the, the depth and the vulnerability and the honesty and the authenticity that comes through in those stories is something that like you can only get through that model if building relationships that are lasting and trusting versus, you know, that more of that transactional, like, okay, I'm coming in to just highlight this one thing that I want to highlight. And then I go, and I think, you know, maybe you've, you, you did start touching on this a little bit and you can tell just by how passionate you are about storytelling um, like the kinds of stories that you like to tell. I'd love to hear you talk about that a little bit more. So like, are there certain voices that you seek to amplify or certain stories that call to you um, to make films around? How does that process work in your mind? And then even when it all comes to fruition and, and you know, you actually in, engage in the storytelling and filmmaking process. I think there's an intangible quality 
in that of, uh, you know, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure if I went and kind of mapped it all out, then I, I could, I could probably give you a, a very analy- analytical answer to that. But uh, I, um, I mean, th- there are just some stories, some people that have a magnetism to them that just kind of hook me. And uh, I think, you know, the, the core theme that unites a lot of this uh, is, is that um, I'm, I'm fascinated by people who are able to um, experience the world and connect with it in a way that uh, is showing me a bit of what I, I feel kind of a deep and unknown longing for in some ways. Um, uh, I heard a really interesting talk earlier this year by uh, an indigenous elder who was, who was talking about how um, something that, that he feels really badly uh, uh, about and seeing in the world is, is how uh, you have so many people who, whether it was through conscious or forced movement to another part of the world have lost not only a connection to the place where they're from, but have also lost uh, the ability to connect with a part of themselves. And um, there's this, this kind of um, connection that uh, indigenous people have to, uh, to the life, to the, to the world that they live in that, uh, I think when people begin to interact with these communities and begin to, you know, to speak and hear and learn, you know, their experiences and see that that experience, I, I think there is a sense of longing that comes from that. It's to to feel a sense of belonging, a sense of fulfillment, a sense of meaning that um, I think most people feel you know is absent from their lives and uh i'm i'm fascinated by how when we begin to interact with the natural world again uh we begin to um pull back the veil so to speak and uh the the fiction that i love is is usually you know, somewhere in, in like the magical realism area or, or something that is like a, a subtle fantasy or science fiction where we're seeing something that feels normal until there's just a couple of layers that are subtle attached to it that, that uh, show what could happen if we could experience just a little bit more of the world than what we isolate ourselves within. And so um, the people that I, I like to, um, to focus on in the, in these films are people who are passionate, who I, I guess are stubborn, <laughs> are stubborn in, in how they <laughs> are, are willing to do things that are, uh, not easy. They're willing to do things that most folks wouldn't say are normal and uh, are willing to be creative, to innovate, to see the world or, or show other people how to see the world in a slightly different way. Um, like the, the ability to, for me to, to, you know, experience the world through their eyes, through their ears, through you know, their minds is, um, uh, is often transformative for me because I might not experience it the same way they do, but they might show me a new way of experiencing it that's authentic to me. And I hope that through my stories uh, that, I sh- uh, that I craft and share um, that I'm working on now, uh, I'm hoping that I can 
highlight and elevate other people that are, are recognizable to the viewers in, in such a way that they might see themselves or see a person that they want to be uh, through that person so that they can go out and say, okay, you know, I can go and make a difference in my community. I can go and save this place or this, this um, animal or this river or ecosystem that I care about so much because I've seen another person that I can relate to uh, doing that same thing. Because um, we've been inundated by stories that are are full of loss and darkness and um, and just doom and despair for so long. I mean, um, I, I'm 31 and I'd say at least half of my life as a member of these audiences has been in, in a world where cynicism and nihilism have become the prominent stories that are being told. And we don't need that. That's not useful. That, that doesn't help us solve these problems that we're experiencing today. So the stories that I hope to tell are optimistic in not in a naive way, but optimistic in that they're grounded in solutions, grounded in truths that we know that, you know, that we're, we're actively doing that, that show us how to, um, create the kind of world that we want our children and grandchildren to be able to thrive in. Um, cause I don't, I don't believe that it's, I don't think it's possible for us to prevent climate change because climate change is here. I think it's possible for us to prevent the worst impacts of it. And I think it's possible for us to be working every day, starting yesterday, to try to create new balance, to try to create new uh, opportunities for nature to do what it does so well, which is to to restore itself, which is to regenerate itself, which is to create new conditions for life to thrive. And those won't be what we live in today. And the world won't look like what we see today. But in some cases, that's not a bad thing. Because, you know, the, the world that we've created is, um, is, not, is not healthy. And much of what we think of as normal is not. And I think it, it is important for us to become stewards, to become good gardeners, and to see ourselves as a part of the solution, as, as the type of creatures that are going to need to fill the niches to save the planet. And that, those are the stories I'm hoping to share. Yeah, and I mean, I think you so perfectly summarized uh the motivating factor for me to start this show is that overwhelming sense of we're so inundated with those negative stories all the time i mean it's that's the model of the news that we have now but that's not necessarily the reality that we live in and i think it's so easy for people to be like well there's nothing i can do about it because look everything's so crappy and I am choosing to not believe that because I see it with my own eyes that there are really amazing people in this world that are doing really great work. And if I can carve out this tiny little corner of audio space to once a month, like uplift somebody that I think is doing great work in hopes that somebody listening is like, oh, yeah, I can do that. Or I'm inspired to get out and try something. Like I feel like that's what it's all about. Um, and I want to make sure that we we take a little a moment uh, just to highlight. Like, are there any film projects that you're working on right now, or released uh, recently, or maybe even a long time ago that you want to highlight? Like, where can people um, go to learn about your films? And is there anything coming up that we should keep an eye out for? Well, I'm currently editing uh, um, *Apparent Winds*, the the film about the the sailors, and the um, the other half of that story that 
we didn't get to tell because uh, because the pandemic shut down our ability to do so. It's about all the amazing uh, um, Hope Spot champions that we were hoping to cover, and that that film is going to be called Healing the Garden, and um, I'm starting production on that uh, in November, and will hopefully be in festivals by 2026. Uh, at least that's that's what I keep telling myself. We'll see. <laughs> uh, but um, but yeah, uh, um, the Healing the Garden project will have uh, short films. We'll have written content. We'll have uh, you know podcast episodes for people to be able to check in and learn some of these stories uh, before the full film comes out and. Um, we'll have uh, a whole uh, platform available for that once we get going probably early next year. And with the um, Carolina Ocean Alliance, which I know you you talked a little bit about earlier on and Enduring Curiosity, where can people go to learn more about um, both of those organizations and are those things that people can get involved in if if someone's interested in volunteering or um, you know, participating in an event or something like that. Absolutely. Yes. We, we've got, uh, websites for each of those. So, um, uh, we can probably put a link in the, uh, episode description for that to make it easy for folks. Absolutely. And, um, also, um, yeah, we, we have, uh, some really cool events coming up like the hope summit, uh, which will be at the end of September. It's a, uh, community-driven solutions um, weekend with a conference and a festival that if anybody's in the Charleston area, I, I hope they'll come and join us. Um, for Enduring Curiosity, we're going to be hosting uh, some screenings of different documentaries uh, in the greater Charleston area, and we'll be restarting our podcast uh, later this year uh, as well. So I hope folks will uh, come and join us for those. Excellent. And uh, the website, is that the best way for, or both of the websites that we'll put in the show notes, is that the best way for people to kind of follow along and get in touch with you? Is there any social media you'd like to call out? Yeah, uh, we've got um, Instagram pages uh, for Carolina Ocean Lines and Enduring Curiosity. And I, I have a personal one as well. And um, uh, we partner with the Sustainable Ocean Alliance of to uh, host a professional development uh, hub um, uh, as part of Carolina Ocean Alliance to help create opportunities for young people uh, in in our area to work in creating uh, creating solutions for our community. So, uh, yeah, uh, I I, um, I think through Instagram that that would be a great way for people to get in touch with us or can go through uh, our email on the website. Excellent. And so this, this, I always close out each of my shows with like a lightning round of sorts where I ask my guests the same series of questions. So starting with what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're facing? Decarbonization. You know, first and foremost, we need to um, dramatically cut the, the way that we uh, are, are, you know, pumping more carbon dioxide, both into our atmosphere and our oceans. So, um, yeah, shifting the systems, uh, in, in that way. And also, uh, shifting our, our food systems as well. Um, those are the two biggest issues for me. And what are you energized about moving forward? The amount of people who are working in this space, who have ideas, who have passion and energy, who, uh, who haven't given up and who want to create the kind of world they want their kids and grandkids to live in. Uh, I, I mean, that, that excites me every day. And um, anybody out there who feels alone, you know, don't worry, you're not. Uh, go and join any of these these networks, and including um, uh, the uh, including SOA or you know um, Healthy Ocean Alliance or, or, or any any of these different groups, um, you'll meet some people who can give you a lot of energy from that. Yeah, and then this last one is uh, like a choose your own adventure. You can answer both parts or whatever you feel called to. So, what is the best advice you've ever been given, or what advice do you have for our listeners? I think the best advice that 
I got um, was when I was trying to figure out um, what I was going to go to school for. Um, instead of going and and uh, going to be a you know uh, to learn how to make films, I, I was taught like you know go and figure out what you want to make films about. And so uh, I think it's it's incredibly important for people to find a way to tap into that sense of curiosity and wonder that we have as small children that, you know, for a variety of reasons gets smothered as we grow older. If you're able to rekindle that curiosity and that ability to feel wonder, you know, and awe at things, I think that will be transformative, not just for you know, people personally, but for our society. Well, Gray, I am so grateful to have had this time with you. Like I said at the top of this show, I feel like I always learn so much when we interact. And I'm so just really glad that um, our paths have crossed and crossed back in May. And now we're connected to each other. And I, I look forward to keeping in touch. And um, just I'm really appreciative for you for spending some time with me today on the show. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you so much for having me here. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. I'd also like to thank the listeners. If you want to hear more of this show and other shows on the network, we are the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much welcome and appreciated. And if you enjoy social media, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Coastal News 365. And you can, you can connect with me personally on Instagram at Jenna Valente and Twitter. I am Yenna Benna. So please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. <laughs>